welcome to another sermon podcast from Valley Forth Church. We are a church in Spokane Valley, Washington, and are dedicated to the mission of making, teaching, and sending disciples to the glory of God. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on Apple iTunes, Sermon Audio, or wherever you find your podcasts. Also, check out our YouTube channel for additional content at youtube.com slash Church. Now, here is a message from Pastor Joe Hirsch. Moving into a new series today, and uh, the opening text for that series is the great song of praise from Mary, recorded in Luke 2, or pardon me, Luke 1, rather, beginning at verse 46. So together, let us hear the Word of God. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has shown strength with his arm. He scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he sent away empty. He's helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. God's holy word has been read. Now it will be taught. And may the Holy Spirit apply his truth to our hearts in his power. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Thank you so much. <clears throat> well, we move into a time of teaching in God's word that... Uh, also will be a time where we move into communion together. So I urge you to prepare your hearts for that here in the worship center. And if you're participating with us online, at home, wherever, and you would like to participate in communion, I encourage you to take a moment, if you've not already done so, to gather suitable uh, material and elements to participate with us right where you are. A Christmas series, as we do each season, our pastoral staff met and, and talked and prayed about what God would have us bring. And the, the great impression upon our hearts was that we would teach you about the great story of Emmanuel, God with us. Not only because it's a great theme of the holiday, but because of the fact that we're in a season where we have tasted a need through the, the circumstances we're walking through for the presence of God in as deep a way as ever. And so we wanted to bring this message and series of messages to you. It's a series that will tell a story, the overarching story of the visitation of the Son, Emmanuel, God coming to be with us. Many different texts. My portion this morning to launch the series will be on what we would call the announcement of God coming to be with us. Mary's experience with the angel Gabriel and her great song of praise that describes what to look forward to with this coming Savior. 
Pastor Josh next Sunday will be preaching about the arrival of that one, the the birth experience in Matthew chapter 1. I'll follow that the week week after with what we could call the adoration of the Son, the wonderful experience of the shepherds with the adoring angels and their mission of adoration to where Jesus lay in the manger to adore him, the adoration of God with us, the announcement of God with us, the arrival of God with us, the adoration of God with us, and finally the fourth Sunday, Pastor Sam will bring a message also from Matthew on the afterword of God with us, what happened when the Magi arrived and they brought the eyes of an entire lost and waiting world to the face of the newly arrived Son of God. After that, I'll resume my preaching in Hebrews chapter 11 as the year turns. Now, we could say that this is a Christmas season like so many others, and we'd be right, but maybe not quite. It is the same season, but it's different this year. It's different because of the social environment we're working in, because of the uncertainties we live in, particularly in our culture. It's different, but it's still a wonder-filled season. It's a wonder-filled time because the message has not changed and the reality of who we celebrate is even more precious to us. It's a season and, and it's one in which we're learning some deeper truths about God due to the pressures that we're under. Praise the Lord for it. But it's also one where we can learn some deeper truths about him as we meditate on his arrival. I thought back to Mary's winter season that year, and it turned out to be a different, different season for her, too. Unexpectedly, as for us, this season turned out unexpectedly. And she, too, learned some great things about God that we find in her great song of praise, the Magnificat. So today we're going to go through in specifics her song of praise in in Luke chapter 1, this wonderful story of what God had told her was coming. She sings it after the arrival of Gabriel to tell her that she would be the mother of the Messiah. And all of this truth just kind of collides in her life and in her thoughts and her hopes and her dreams and it comes out in this wonderful song it's a song in which she celebrates what the great heart of God is like the heart of God that arrived and spoke to her and the heart of God in terms of what he had planned for the planet it's full of mighty praise I'm going to dwell on just four things that she teaches us about the great heart of the one who has come to be with us. The heart of the Father who sent him and the heart of the Savior who would now move across the world. Four things. Now, in preparation for me describing these things to you as I've gone over the great text, let me remind you of the the span of events that had already happened in Mary's life. Her everyday world in Nazareth as a poverty-stricken young woman, engaged to be married, which was the only hope of her life and the greatest joy of her life, 15 years of age probably at the time. And all of that is interrupted by a visitation from an angel. The angel Gabriel, verse 26 of Luke 1, sent from the throne room of heaven, the verse says, to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, 
to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. Two unknown people in a town people never wanted to head to received the presence of heaven. The angel Gabriel comes and he makes a profound announcement to her, verse 30. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will, you will conceive in your womb. Notice there's no involvement of Joseph, her husband-to-be. No, it would be a solitary conception she would experience with the Holy Spirit in the, in the quietness of her womb. A miracle would occur. You will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, Yeshua, God saves. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. What a promise. She knew in a moment what she was hearing. This was the great and long-awaited arrival of the Messiah into human time to save Israel. It had been promised for centuries, 2,000 years, and she had the privilege of being the woman through whom Isaiah's prophecy, which was read in our hearing earlier, a virgin shall be with child and you shall call his name Emmanuel. She knew it was all coming together in this moment through this angelic prediction. She was awestruck, to say the least. But she was also humbled. She believed it. She believed every word of it, although she was overwhelmed with the message. And she said, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed. Now, he didn't depart before he gave her some comfort. He told her in verse 36 that she had a relative, Elizabeth, who in her old age had not been able to conceive, was past childbearing years, but that she had conceived in a supernatural way herself. And her son was going to be due in just a few months. She was already in her sixth month, verse 36. What was for nothing will be impossible with God. So the angel gives her this human encouragement. How wonderful, wonderfully gentle of our God to do that for us. Mary, struggling humanly to believe, but deciding spiritually to believe, is given this added comfort and told that a like miracle has occurred in someone she knew. And so Mary, filled with curiosity about this and wanting in her loneliness to go and see someone else who might relate, she leaves from that visitation. And in verse 39, it says she arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And those two women who shared a like miracle together rejoiced in what God was doing. And Elizabeth told her the story. And in fact, Elizabeth's baby, John the Baptist, leapt in her womb when he heard Mary's voice. Oh, if you ever needed a passage that talked about the real personhood of the unborn, here's one. He responded and heard her, filled with the Holy Spirit he was. And Mary rejoices at all of this. And she knows now in her human frame that what God told her to believe spiritually is humanly accompanied by this encouragement. And it all just 
strikes her with certainty now. And she had already stirred, felt the stirring in her own womb in the early weeks. And she knew, as a woman only knows, in the early days, perhaps before even physical signs were to show and physical things were to change, she knew that she knew that she was with child. And she knew that it could only have happened by the Spirit of God. All of that was coalescing in these weeks. And it just now comes to her. And she knows now that God is on the move. And God is doing something something amazing and God is doing something through her to touch the whole world with salvation and so in in the power of the Holy Spirit under this great certainty verse 46 says that Mary breaks out in this wonderful exclamation from pray of praise and right there before Elizabeth's eyes Mary says my soul magnifies the Lord she's filled with mighty praise And in this great song of praise that theologians call the Magnificat, which is Latin for my soul magnifies, she gives us four great understandings of the God who sent this Savior and the Savior himself. Here is the body of my message, the four great understandings that we learn here. Number one, Mary humbly magnified God's saving heart This is in verses 46 and 47, the key phrase, God, my Savior. She humbly magnifies the fact that salvation was turning from eternity into time through her very body and through her very life. It was an astounding thing. Now, she was in awe in in regard to two things under this great idea. First of all, she was awed by the presence of God's glory. She says, my soul magnifies the Lord. The Lord God has come into my life, into my world, unmistakably. Now, how had he done it? Well, she had seen, first of all, his supernatural presence in her life. I've already told you the story of the angel visiting Mary, not in a vision, but in physical reality. He took on physical form in her room in that little broken down dusty house in Nazareth. This was the first time that she knew of in 400 years that God had spoken to someone in Israel because the Old Testament era had ended in terms of revelation 400 years before when the prophet Malachi put down his his quill and he was done writing. And God had not spoken to his people for four long, silent centuries. No prophet had arisen in the land. No scripture had been revealed and no angel had appeared. Mary now has the privilege of the first physical appearance, although she didn't know it. But John, uh, John's father, Zechariah, had actually experienced an, exper- an appearance of Gabriel on his own some months before. But Mary didn't know it. As far as she knew, she was the privileged receiver of revelation. And really, she was. She was given the greatest message. Supernatural presence. And she was also somebody who had experienced supernatural power. This conception that was promised really had occurred. By this time in her life, the rhythms of her body might be altering to adjust for the new life within her. The dimensions of her psychological awareness of this miracle were starting to appear Perhaps other things were happening for her to know that something supernatural had happened in her very body. 
She would cherish these moments. And for every week of the pregnancy and every month that moved by as her body changed and her womb grew and the the movement of the baby started and the kicking of the Messiah commenced, all through that time, Mary would rest every night of her pregnancy and perhaps put a finger to her pulse and realize that with every thrust of blood through her veins, she was feeling the, the blood of the coming Messiah and prophecy was pulsing through her very body. It was an awesome experience. She was living a nine-month miracle. She didn't know it, but she would live a miracle after that of many years raising Christ, seeing him die, and then trusting him as her Savior and Messiah, and knowing him in resurrection power when he would come after the resurrection and dwell not only in her body, but in her heart. And she would know the miracle of God's supernatural presence with his people. She was awed by the presence of his glory. And I'll tell you what, believer, you have that privilege. You say, well, my life hasn't been marked by any miracles. I'm just a white bread, everyday Christian. I don't see much supernatural happening in my life. Well, trust me, as you have to trust God more, you probably will. I think the whole church of Jesus Christ in our culture is going to be driven to seek God and God alone instead of our human constructs. And we're going to see God working in miracle power in our lives more and more in these coming times. But you know, even though you've never experienced an outward miracle in your life, do you know that if you're a believer, you are a walking miracle right now? Because the Bible says that you have experienced a miraculous birth. Did you know that? Jesus said in John chapter 3 that you cannot see the kingdom of God unless you be born again. Are you born again? Yes. Then you have experienced a supernatural invasion akin to Mary. Your dead heart was made alive by the invasion of the Spirit of God into your very being. You are a living miracle. And you ought to be doing what Mary did. You ought to be magnifying the Lord in your new life. Think about that. She was awed also by her part in this story. She said, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. She knew that she was carrying someone who would not only be the Savior of the world, but who would head to a sacrifice where he would save her. This is important in this season to reflect on the fact that Mary was nobody special. You might have come from a religious tradition that taught you that Mary was unique, that she was immaculately conceived herself, that she was a sinless person, that she ascended herself into heaven like Jesus did, and that she is now in heaven co-saving you with Jesus. There is a religious tradition that teaches that. That's falsehood. This statement breaks that all apart because Mary needed a Savior too. She needed a Savior just like you do. There was nothing special about her. It was just that God chose to work through her. So Mary needed a Savior. You need a Savior. She was looking toward one, and she rejoiced when she found him just like you and I do. The thing about Mary was she was a God seeker. She was a godly young woman. Even though she was only 15 or so years old, her life was seeped in scripture, steeped in it. It's amazing how much scripture is involved in this one song of praise. Scholars have been amazed at this over the centuries. 
In verse 46, she, she quotes 1 Samuel 2. She refers to so much in this great song. In verse 48, she refers to 1 Samuel 1. In verse 50, she uses Genesis 12, Psalm 103, and Psalm 145. In verse 51, she refers to Psalm 89. In verse 52, Job 5 appears in, in, in content or concept. This was a young woman who lived in the presence of God and in the word of God. It's just an amazing story from her heart. She was someone who was useful for God in this great miraculous moment. Now, if she knew all of those scriptures, she certainly knew another scripture, the one read in our hearing in our service, Isaiah 7.14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means, of course, God with us. Mary knew that text like any loyal and God-fearing young woman knew it in the culture of Israel. Many young women, many young virgins longed to be the virgin. It says, behold, the virgin, one woman picked out in all of history. She'll be a virgin and she herself shall conceive. There's no man in that sentence. It is a miraculous moment and bear a son, a unique son. And this is the one who will be Emmanuel, God with us, God invading human time. Mary turned out to be the person she dreamed of being. What a miracle it was. She was suddenly written into the greatest story. And the Bible says that she just rejoiced in God, her Savior. She knew all of salvation was turning in her life. It must have been astounding. The word rejoice there is a very powerful word in the Greek. It means to rejoice out loud. You know, there's times when we just quietly enjoy the goodness of God. We just quietly in peace, just in our hearts say, oh, thank you, Lord. This is not one of those moments. This was something that was so great that Mary was saying, praise God. You ever been in a moment like that when when something great happens in somebody's life and they come and share it with you, a provision or a healing or just a miracle of God and right right out of your heart, you don't even think about it. You just say, praise the Lord. It's that kind of joy. She was so excited that a savior had come for the deepest need in her life, her sin, And she knew that she was chosen in history. You say, well, my life, again, is very insignificant compared to hers, Pastor. Of course, she rejoiced out loud. She was the one person chosen in all of human time. Well, guess what, my friend? You're chosen too. You're chosen unto eternity. She was chosen for a place in history. You have been chosen for a place in eternity. How do I know it? Ephesians chapter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul rejoices out loud with his pen. And he says, blessed be God. Why? Because he has chose us, even as he chose us, verse 4, in him, in Jesus Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Why should you be rejoicing out loud as a believer today and every day? Because you have been chosen too. You were chosen before the foundation of the world to live on in eternity with the wonderful Lord Jesus Christ. I'm telling you what. 
You have a great, great place in eternal history. God has chosen you. She rejoiced in God's saving heart. Secondly, she now humbly magnifies God's gracious heart. This is verse 48 through 50. Two things under this. She was grateful for his gracious choice. Look at verse 48, first phrase. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. What is humble estate all about? You could translate it, he has looked upon the ugly, broken down, poverty-filled place that I live through and live in. And he looked through it all and he looked to me. The Greek there talks about being the poorest of the poor. She said, he looked upon me, the poorest of the poor. It means living in such poverty that people turn their eyes away when they see it. It means living in a neighborhood that when people drive through it, they look with pity. And they shudder to think that anyone could live in a house like that. You know the experience of driving through. Maybe some of us know the experience of living through. Mary was the poorest of the poor. She was look away poor. And yet she said, God looked through all of that. And he came and he looked to the humble estate of his servant. And it just reminds me that when God wants to work, he often doesn't choose people like the world does. It's been said very often that if Jesus Christ were to appear in our time and be born, if he hadn't come 2,000 years ago, if God had let history run another 2,000 years, and now was the time when the Son of God would be miraculously born in the earth. And he gave us the chance to choose the couple who would be privileged with the miraculous birth of the Savior God, the King of Kings from the throne room of heaven, who would we choose? And my absolute confidence is that we would choose someone with star power, wouldn't we? We're that dense and that deceived. We would choose someone worthy of welcoming a king. We'd choose someone whose Twitter feed was huge, whose books had been pumped on Oprah, who was on the internet all the time and who was adored by a huge swath of our population. We'd probably choose somebody like Kate, who was the Duchess of Cambridge in her early life. And old William, who was engaged to be married to her. Those are the people, and that's the place into which we would say the king of heaven ought to be born. God swept out all of that aside. He went to a look-away poor place, to a look-away poor woman, and he brought his greatest miracle into the strangest place, and that's God's way. She said, you came into my broken-down life, my overlooked life, my look-away poverty. I love the way Martin Luther put it. When God was looking for this privileged woman, he went and found a poor daughter who was born to plain parents in a mean town. That was Nazareth. Remember when I think it was Nathaniel was told that Jesus, the Messiah, was coming and wanted to see him? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth wants to see you. And he said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Well, he wasn't lying. That was the social experience of it. It was a don't want to head their town. I'm sure when Gabriel was called to the throne room and God said, Gabriel, now I have, the time has come. The person has been chosen. I want you to head to Nazareth to bring the news. Gabriel probably did a double take and said, Nazareth, Lord. You can't be serious. Don't you mean to head me into a 
area in the priestly quarter of upper-class Jerusalem. I mean, Gabriel probably shuddered and didn't want to go there. Even angels know bad neighborhoods. <laughs> he probably asked the Lord, is, is Michael doing anything? Is he on the schedule for anything? I didn't. <laughs> it was completely non-predictable. But this is how God works. He overlooks the deserving and he comes to the humbled, the unremarkable. Aren't you glad he did that when it came to saving you? I'm so glad he came into my look-away life. Now, the only thing remarkable about Mary was her heart for God. As I've said, she was steeped in the word. She was looking for Messiah, like Zechariah, her uncle, was, like Elizabeth was, like Simeon would be in our later stories in Christmas. She was looking for Messiah. She had a humble heart for God, and that's all he wanted. Have you ever wondered whether you'd be used by God for something? You will be used by God. He never saves anyone he doesn't use. You say, I'm unqualified. Do you have a heart for God? Yes. Welcome to God's work through your life. However alone you may be, however overlooked you are, even in your church family, nobody knowing and realizing when you come and go through the doors, God will work through you. Just have a heart for him. She was grateful also for his gracious care. She said, oh, he has done great things for me, verse 49. Great things for me is how you ought to read it. What great things? Well, he was fulfilling prophecy through her life. All the dozens of prophecies that she had read and memorized as a young Jewish girl were now tailor-made to occur through her and to her. She was the hinge point of history. Amazing. She had had an angelic appearance, and now she had this supernatural change in her womb that meant the Holy Spirit had touched her. No other person ever experienced such supernatural presence. Her mind was reeling about it all, and that's why I find it so comforting that God gave her Elizabeth. What a meeting those two must have had. Elizabeth with her miracle a few months earlier along than Mary. Mary maybe not showing that but no, yet, but knowing yet that she was pregnant and coming into the house. They were what I call walk-in friends. You got knock-on-the-door friends that have to knock. Then you got walk-in friends that can simply sweep into your home. You know the difference, don't you? She was a walk-in friend. The scripture says she didn't knock. She entered the house. She just came in. She said, Lizzie, Liz. Are you here? Something amazing has happened. And Elizabeth knew because I think the angel Gabriel had made a little side trip after he met Mary and he went to Elizabeth's house on his way back to heaven. And he said, by the way, in a few, few weeks, you're, you're, Mary's coming and she is the chosen one. She'll be pregnant supernaturally by the Holy Spirit. And I want you to encourage her heart. Well, that was easy because when Mary swept in the door, John left in her womb. Elizabeth knew that she knew that this was the mother of the Son of God, and she declares it, how blessed you are. And so the two women had that remarkable moment of bonding. I just love that. You see, nobody was more alone in the will of God in life than Mary was. Who could she tell? Who could she tell that would ever believe her? She couldn't go with joy to her own mother and say, Mom, I'm pregnant. Because number one, she hadn't been, you know, with Joseph and married. So her mother would think, 
Oh, she'd gotten in trouble. She couldn't tell Joseph, who would be obligated under the law to end the marriage. Where could she go? Who could she tell? God in his goodness provided someone to be in her life. You know, I took encouragement from that because often I face things in my life that I can't describe to people. I face trials. I face uh, challenges. I go through things in my life that only the Lord and I understand and interact about. But, but you know what? Sometimes God in his wonderful mercy will give you a friend. If you've got a God-sized experience, don't be surprised that he gives you a friend along the way who in a moment over a lifetime will understand you and walk with you. He's that good, people. Quickly to the last two. What else did she magnify? Thirdly, Mary humbly magnified God's righteous heart. This now sweeps into verses 51 to the end. There's a shift here. Verses 46 through 49 are about what God has done for Mary. The great things, verse 49, he's done for me. But then she shifts, and then she begins to focus on all the people in history who will be blessed because of the great thing he's doing through her, through this coming Jesus. And his mercy is for those who fear him, verse 50, from generation to generation. There is your marker. It now shifts, and she speaks in prophecy about what's going to happen all through history, including in your life and my life today. She shifts from how God worked in her life to how God works in the whole world. And she talks about a great principle. And the principle is this, hear me. In her praise, she tells us that God pours his grace out onto spiritually humble hearts. He pours his grace out onto spiritually humble hearts. Verse 50, his mercy is for those who what? Fear him, who are humble before him, who see their sin and know they need a savior, who come to him in brokenness and in emptiness. Two things under this. We see in verse 51 that she rejoiced at his solid stand against spiritual pride. She said, he has shown strength with his arm and scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. It's interesting, in these verses 51 through 55, or 50, yeah, 55, there are seven what we call verbal tenses that are all aorist. Prophetic aorist is what they are. Aorist means something that's happened in the past, but that God will do again in the future. It's as good as done. And she, basically, she's saying that God has done this in the past. He's shown strength with his arm. He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. And it's so certain that he, this is the way he rolls, that he has done it, he does it today, and he always will. It's how God rolls, she says. God will do it. Through this coming Messiah, this Lord who is in my womb and who will soon come out into the world is going to humble proud hearts, but bring his salvation to humble hearts. Now, she knew a lot about this because, like I said, she knew her Bible, but she knew her Bible, not just with the verses that she quoted. She knew the story of the scriptures and she knew the whole story of the Old Testament was God breaking down the proud and coming to the humble. She knew the story of God facing down a certain king named Pharaoh and rescuing a certain humble slave people that he would call Israel. 
She knew the story of the defeat of all the kings in Canaan who were proud and arrogant and strong, and God defeated them all for the sake of a little humble slave people called Israel. She knew the story of Joseph opposed by the mighty and the powerful, and God lifted him up from humility and brokenness into great exaltation. She knew the stories about Moses in the same way, and Samuel in the same way, and David in the same way, and Daniel in the same way, and she said, my God rolls this way. If you want to come and meet my God, don't you come proud. You come humble and broken. She rejoiced secondly at his sure response to spiritual need. If you come like that, if you come to my God in humility, he will fill you. Look at verse 53. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away. It's an amazing contrast. You see, You can come to God and leave God in two ways. You can come spiritually hungry, and if you do, you'll leave spiritually filled. You can come, on the other hand, spiritually proud, and though you have everything in your hands in terms of what you may own, you you will go away spiritually empty. The riches she's talking about, the filling of the hungry, verse 53, she's talking about is not with material things. It's with spiritual fullness. In other words, you come to know the Savior and you are filled with the Spirit of God and you're filled with all the good things God has for you forever. That's true riches. You'll come and be filled that way. That's why Jesus said when he came in Luke 4, I've come to preach the good news to the poor. Now, a lot of people today who are trying to adjust Christianity to become kind of some kind of social movement and who believe that feeding the poor is the greatest issue in the world today would say that Jesus misspoke. They would say if they had a chance to write the New Testament their way all over again, they would say that Jesus said, I have come to create, create endless food banks for the poor. I've come to create social structures and social, social institutions for the poor. I've come to eliminate poverty on the world as we know it today because I'm God and I can do that. Was he God? Could he do it? Yes. He did not come to address physical poverty. He came to address spiritual poverty. He came to address the lostness and the hunger in every human being. The greater issue in Christ's ministry, his teaching, and in his life was the spiritual emptiness of people. And that affects not just the hungry, it affects the rich. This is the message of the gospel of the New Testament. Mary was an example of how he did this. And by the way, it's his trend throughout history. Read, read 1 Corinthians chapter 1 sometime, where God talks about the fact that he came and there were not many rich and not many noble. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God comes to people who know they are spiritually broken. Is that you today? You can come to him and he'll fill your life with all that's really, truly valuable. Lastly, Mary humbly magnified God's faithful heart. This is the last two verses. And it has to do with God keeping his promises over 2,000 years of time. See, Mary realized that God's entire history-spanning plan to reach lost people 
was hinging on her life. And so she says, verse 54, he has helped his servant Israel, his nation Israel, in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Israel had been waiting for 2,000 years since the time God first met Abraham and said, out of you, I'm going to make a nation. This is Genesis chapter 12. And he said, out of you, a great nation will come out of your loins, out of your physical line. And you will be a blessing. Not only will the nation of people come from you, but a great blessing. What was the blessing? The what was a who? The Messiah. Through you, the Savior of the world will come, Abraham. And all the families of the earth shall be blessed through you. All the people groups of the earth, all the nations of the earth, not just Jewish people through you, but anyone through you who believes in the Savior who's going to come through your life and through your your distant descendant, a virgin who's going to be made with child, they're going to be blessed. Israel had waited 2,000 years. 2,000 years 20 centuries had come and gone, and in the latest years there had been silence completely. And yet Mary knew that history had burst upon her, and she was the person who would give, give room for the changing of history. She was amazed at two things as I bring this to a close, amazed at the ancient promise he made. He spoke to Abraham. He says, you're going to be a blessing to the world, to all the people. And 2,000 years later, Mary knew it was as if God had made a promise 2,000 years earlier and the, the clock of his promise had slowly ticked from the moment of the promise of Abraham and had gotten to about one minute before dawn and then it had stopped centuries before And the darkness was upon Israel and the world. And Mary seemed to know that through the birth of the one in her life, the Messiah who would come, the minute hand on the clock as Jesus was born would suddenly begin to move and it would click into place and the moment of the dawn would come. It had been one minute till morning for centuries, but Mary knew when her son was born, dawn would, 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 would approach It was one minute till morning. When Jesus came into the world, it was the most joyful hour in heavenly history. And she knew it would be the most joyful hour in human history. Though he lay in a cradle, though he would go to a cross, when all that was finished, then the bell call of salvation could go out to the whole world. An ancient promise kept. Aren't you glad? He told his story through Mary. Lastly, she was amazed at the ageless promise he'd kept. It was a promise not just for Israel, but again for the whole world. Through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. You can't miss it. You say, well, wait a minute. Does that mean the whole world's going to become Jewish? Well, yes and no. Yes, Israel would be blessed with their Messiah if they chose to believe in him. But the scriptures tell us that you don't have to be Jewish to be blessed by God. Galatians 3, 7. Know then it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Faith in what? Not in a what, in a who. In Jesus of Nazareth, born, lived, crucified, risen. If you have faith in that wonderful son of God, you become spiritually Jewish. You become a member of God's forever family. Not because you were born Jewish, but because you were born again. Have you been born again? Spiritually, you're as Jewish as anyone in the world. 
You're as Jewish as Moses. That's why when you get to heaven, you can hang out with him and you won't even have to be kosher. You'll be able to be with him because God told the forever story to start with Israel, but go and expand to the whole world. In you shall all the nations be blessed, he told Abraham. And that's why we preach the gospel to the world. It's not just Jewish good news. It's good news for the whole world. Well, there's the great story of Mary's miracle. Of how she magnified what God was doing, not only in her humble life, but in all of history to come. And my friend, if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, you have experienced a like miracle. Living in sin, broken in heart, separated from God, a rebel in soul. The Bible says, if you've been born again, you're your own walking miracle. And it all started years ago at that first Christmas when a loving Savior appeared. 